Welcome to the Broken Token Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Brent, and I want to welcome you to episode 116 of the Broken Token Classic Gaming Podcast. Like the last episode, this show's going to be a little different. Unfortunately, Whitney and I have just not had much of an opportunity to get together and record a full show like we like to do. The holidays have been in the way and some family engagements. Everybody's fine. I know that if we have, we have a little bit of lapse in our schedule, which unfortunately we've had here in the, in the last several months, it, it, it's, it's heartwarming when we get all the reach outs from listeners of the show just checking on us. So rest assured, everything's great. We've just had, um, we've had a really rough schedule do again due to the holidays and family engagements and, and and all that that comes. So speaking of, when this show gets to your ears, it's already going to be after the new year. So hopefully everyone's new year went well and uh, all, everyone's Christmas holidays went well. And I know Whitney and I are looking forward to 2024 and. Uh, bringing everybody some, uh, you know, classic gaming, pinball, arcade console goodness. So for this show, I, d- I just kind of want to kick it off and let everybody know what, what you're going to hear. We're going to go ahead and air the third and final segment from the Activision crew that was recorded at the Music City Multicon, Nashville, Tennessee in 2022. Kind of a side note here before I get into what Whitney Whitney actually sent me to kind of intro the segment. I'll go ahead and say you'll hear some names here in the intro, names that 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 people in the retro community definitely know. So please don't think that what you're going to hear is going to be kind of a rinse, wash, and repeat of other interviews with those people. I know Whitney has tried very hard to like deep dive and get into areas that haven't been explored so that we can have new content to bring to our listeners. I'm going to go over like, here's the high level of, uh, of what you're going to hear, what Whitney uh, shared with me to share with everybody else. So he, he writes in this episode, we feature the third installment of our three part series of interviews with David Crane, Gary Kitchen and Dan Kitchen that was recorded at the 2022 Music City Multicon in Nashville, Tennessee. We conclude our interview with David, Gary, and Dan by discussing their joint business ventures into modern Atari 2600 game development and publishing under the Audacity Games banner. Over the course of the panel, we learn more about their vision for the company, the release of Circus Convoy, and what to expect as the industry continues to march forward as well as what the future holds for upcoming titles. If you missed the first two parts of the series, you can find part one entitled The Atari and Activision Years in episode 114 and part two entitled The Absolute Entertainment Years in episode 115. If you're interested in seeing the video recording of these panels, then check out the Music City Multicon YouTube channel as the videos are posted there. Special thanks to David Corrigan for his opportunity to conduct these panels and for the audio and video production. So everybody sit back and enjoy this third part of the the interview series that Whitney was able to conduct. And I'll add that Whitney and I plan to be back ideally in regular rotation here in the coming weeks. We should be able to sit down, find an opportunity to actually record a real episode, get back in the swing of things and uh, get that out to you all real soon.
Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sunday here at the Music City Multicon 2022. Uh, my name is Whitney Roberts. I'm the co-host of the Broken Token Classic Gaming Podcast. And here to my immediate left, uh, I am, uh, I'm honored and uh, privileged to be able to spend the next hour with uh, Mr. Gary Kitchen, Mr. David Crane, and Mr. Dan Kitchen. And uh, this is the third of a what we consider kind of a three-part installment. Uh, on Friday, we spent an, an hour plus, almost two hours. It was it was a really good discussion around the the Activ the Atari and the Activision years. And if you didn't get to make that panel discussion, no worries. We're going to uh, have it on YouTube, and the description to that will be in. Uh, I'm sorry, the link to that will be in the description below the video. Uh, we'll also have it on our podcast feed as well. Yesterday, we spent uh, right at an hour and a half talking about the post-Activision in the absolute entertainment years. That was very enlightening as well. And this morning, that kind of brings this, this uh, story, I guess, if you could call it, full circle. And we're going to be talking about their newest endeavor, uh, Audacity Games. But before we get into that, gentlemen, would you all mind to do a, a quick intro, please? Hi, I'm Gary Kitchen. Uh of Audacity Games, long history in the industry, dating back to 1979, uh, along with these two gentlemen. And we were early designers on the Atari 2600, game designers, and have currently uh, had the audacity to start a game company that actually makes <laughs> Atari 2600 cartridges. Was, was that, did that feed into the name? Somehow? It was, absolutely. Oh, fantastic. Oh, that's awesome. No, no doubt. Okay. <laughs> David Crane, um, co-founder of Activision, best known for Pitfall. I mean, I've published almost 100 games, and I'm still Mr. Pitfall to just about everybody, but that's okay. <laughs> I also worked at Atari in 1977 with Nolan Bushnell, so I go way back. And, uh, you know, we've been coming to these shows for all these years. We love supporting the retro gaming movement. Um, everybody likes to re remind us that the good old days and the, those games were more fun than what you can buy today. Uh, um, amen to that. And that yes. kind of led into the creation of Audacity Games as well. Thank you. Dan Kitchen. Uh, Activision game designer from the early 1980s. I've worked with these gentlemen most of my life and have been making games for the last 40 years and very happy to be creating games for the system that we started on that we uh, very much know and love. Yeah, thank you, Dan. So real quick, I've got a uh, got a box copy here of Circus Convoy. And uh, before we get into some questions specifically on the game itself, I'd really appreciate if we could spend uh, at least the first part of this and just talk about the the time period between uh, between the the end of Absolute and what brought us what brought you all to Audacity Games because that's a good as far as the 2600 library is concerned that's a good what 30 30 plus 30 35 years I guess in in time and so um, what 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 brought Audacity to the to the table now. Well, it was really, it was shows like this and um, the growth in homebrew over time, you know, you'd hear about homebrew games and we would uh, talk to people at shows, say, wow, did you see there was a homebrew game? Somebody did Halo, you know, somebody did uh, an original version of yeah. something else. And uh, then people started saying to us when they met us at the shows, do you guys ever think of doing a game on the 2600? And we would chuckle. Um, 
but we heard it a lot and we heard it more often. And we started to hear from people really, it wasn't just the game. What they missed was they missed the whole 1980s experience of the game, the beautiful box, four color art, the manual, the patches, mm -hmm. all of it together, the whole experience together, something they could hold in their hand, a retail product. You know, and we didn't, we, we knew we didn't want to just put out a binary and have it go all over the internet. So we always said if we were going to do something, we were going to do it and, and recreate early Activision in the 2600 world. And we didn't take it seriously until, you know, four years ago. Um, and we'd come back from the shows and talk about it. But um, I actually stumbled on a website called 8-Bit Workshop, 8bitworkshop.com. And an enterprising guy had made an in-the-browser 2600 development environment where the left side of the screen is an editor where you can type 6502 code and the right side of the screen is an actual 2600 screen and everything you typed on the left automatically instantly assembled and appeared on the right and it was sample code and stuff so I sent it to Dave and we chuckled and said that's really funny we could just start writing something <laughs> and we just came, became intrigued by it, uh -huh. and then Dave and but this was nothing. Nothing happened at fast speed. I mean, this okay. was something you know. So, so this this is taking place. Taking this is a very or, it's a very organic process yes. that's taking time. Yeah, okay. and Dave's brain started thinking. He started saying, "Well, you know, even if we wrote code, there's so many other things we yeah. would need." Yeah, and I let him take over. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I've. I, I once snapped at uh, John Hardy, the head of the National Video Game Museum, when he said, you should do a game. And I said, do you know how much stuff we would have to do to make that happen? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> you don't just do a piece of art on Photoshop and be done, yeah. you know, like they do now. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I finally had some time to start thinking about it. And Circus Convoy, it was technically about three years in development. But that's because we're building an entire publishing company at the same time. Oh. And everything that yeah. goes into being a publisher. Well, um, and the first thing we had been saying really for 25 years is you can't do it. There's no plastic. I mean, those cartridges are plastic. They take a circuit board in them. Mm -hmm. And those don't exist anymore. There's no plastics company in China that's making that has the mold when to make plastic you've got to have a tool a tool costs thousands of dollars to make it's a custom piece of steel that you inject liquid into and it turns into plastic so our answer was always there's no tool there's no plastic can't make a cartridge. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point because so many homebrew games that we see available right now, like if you go to the Atari Age store and buy, and buy the homebrews there, they're all repurposed combat carts or yeah, something they, like that. And I know find old cartridges. It, that's it. I know because I've sent, I've sent Al at Atari Age boxes of combat carts yeah. to help out because that's the only way they can republish, they can put out new games on cartridges, at least and, right now. And for whatever reason, we didn't want to do that. Yeah, I understand. We yeah. were like, now, if we're going to do this we're going to do it the right way we're not going to ship people games in old used cartridges yes yeah so um you just start making a list of all those things that you need you need graphic development tools you need uh, 
injection molded uh, tool for plastic. You need die cut labels, so you have to find a, a guy who makes the labels and will die cut them to, to wrap around the cartridge. And um, manual, we need artists to do the manual box, the boxes and the manuals and, and write the manuals, all these things that had to be done. PC board. PC yeah. board that goes into the thing. And we started to think about some unique technology that we might use. One example is these, these games, we didn't have this terminology when we started, but these games are basically NFTs. They are unique. Uh, each one has its yeah. own serial number built into the ROM, and it matches a serial number that's printed on the outside of the collector edition, for example. And when you buy this, you register at Audacity Games, and you own that copy, that specific copy, that specific serial number. Um, so if you're going to do that, well, why don't we just also use, have a high scoreboard? And um, how do we do that with an Atari 2600? So I developed QR code technology that would let you submit your game with your smartphone by looking at the TV screen. And uh, anyway, all of these technologies had to be developed. There's a, a, an RFID in every cartridge so that in the manufacturing process, it can keep track of which serial number goes into which box and oh, goes wow. to who, you know, which, man, which purchaser, and everybody gets the right, everything. And if you're a collector, <laughs> if you have serial number 10, which is pretty valuable because uh -huh. it's really low, yeah. if you wanted to prove you have serial number 10, you didn't just jury rig up a label, we, we can actually scan it and see that it's number 10 because of the RFID. We have a secret wow. file that shows what RFID goes to what serial number. And, and the National Video Game Museum in Texas can also do that. So okay. if you, and if you wanted to sell number 10 to this gentleman here, you could facilitate that because we know number 10 because we can recognize the RFID. So, and in the database, it'll change and now you'll have it. There's yes. even a process on the website to make that change and mail a code to someone who then ab absorbs it, puts it into his account and all yeah. that. Kind of so in technical terms, we went nuts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's really what happened. Yeah, so you had to build everything to support the business model yes. that you wanted. Yeah. yeah, and obviously we did it so that we're gonna sell more than one 2600 yes. Oh yeah, we're looking, forward, we're looking forward to the next, for sure. So there will be another one someday. Yeah. But we also did that while having day jobs. I mean, you asked the question about absolute, the end of absolute was 1996, 95, 96, somewhere yeah. in there. And we haven't just been doing nothing since then. Yeah. Um, Gary and I started a company doing, treating the internet as a game console. A uh, game was called, a company's called Skyworks, and we did all sorts of online games, hundreds of them actually. Um, and, you know, Gary has run the um, addicting games company for Nickelodeon. MTV, Nickelodeon. If you've been in the Addicting Games website, we were heavily involved in that for a couple of years. We took the Addicting Games brand. I was hired by Nickelodeon to come in to help them with a mobile game strategy. Because something they didn't mess, uh, uh, mention is we did the internet games, but then a unique business model came along in 2008, 2009, when Steve Jobs announced the App Store. So we right. immediately got into the iPhone. We were on the iPhone three months after the App Store opened and had a run of two or three years where we did really well on the iPhone, had six games that went to number one in the App Store. 
And what was interesting was no one knew that who we were. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, it's a David Crane game. I mean, just making good games. Same thing mm -hmm. with all our online games, just making good games. We didn't leverage our backgrounds. Yeah. But then um, we moved over the Nickelodeon. We created a mobile version of the Nickelodeon uh, Addicting Games website, which was the number one gaming site in America, 25 million people a month. And launched that within 72 hours, went to number one in the App Store. So it was that was a huge project for a while. And then eventually, um, like all companies, Viacom sold their gaming business, including mm -hmm. Addicting Games. And then we started thinking about Audacity. So, so thinking about Audacity, and David, you mentioned that uh, Circus Convoy here is three, three years plus in the making. Um, can, can you talk a bit about, about the, the idea behind the game? Because if I remember kind of how things transpired a bit, Circus Convoy dropped uh, a week after or so-ish, a week after the announcement of the company being in existence. And Dan, we were tracking, well, I, I and a lot of other Atari 2600 fans were tracking what you were working on for, uh, for the successor, or I guess the sequel to Keystone Capers. And I, I would love to hear how the three of you kind of came together because Dan, I, I understand you're still working on your game and then we got Circus Convoy dropped just like boom. So can, can you all kind of describe the, the timing on all of that and, and how that worked out? Yeah, the confusion was that circus, a lot of that work was going on in the background. Okay. Um, even before Dan started talking about his game. So it looks like Circus Convoy took a very small amount of time and Casey's Gold is taking forever. But in fact, Circus Convoy was going on in the background for a couple of years before anybody even knew that Dan was talking about another game. Okay. And Dan was doing his different independently from us. And then we had a discussion with him and said, Look at all the things we had to do. Yeah. Plastics. And this. we even developed, by the way, a custom EEPROM system, which is a programmer that we had to make from scratch, hardware, <laughs> to program EEPROMs to go into the cartridges because they had to be serial numbered. So you never so it automatically increments and goes to the next cartridge when you you know well, as you're as you're producing the, the cartridges yeah producing cartridges yeah so he looked at that and said yeah you're right I mean I'm going to have to partner with someone who has this tech so part of the delay in Casey's gold is that he was not working with that technology initially and he had done a lot of base work without that technology so he has had to take the work he did before and adapt it to our system which involves a lot internally in the game i see dan you can talk about that right so when uh, gary had showed me that 8-bit workshop website he had already been playing with it with dave and um i started tinkering with it and i i remembered i had had a cartridge that i a concept that i prototyped back at Activision, which I had at that time hoped to be a sequel to Gary's hit, Keystone Capers. And I wanted to use his little cop character and put him on a train in the middle of the desert. And I made this little prototype cartridge and put it away. And at the crash of 1983, Activision shifted us off to 2600 and I lost the cartridge to history. And when Gary showed me this, I, I thought, you know, let me see if I can go back and recreate what I remember in my mind from 32 years ago, <laughs> what it looked like. And so I started tinkering and I 
started making this display and and uh, and it started to look very nice and the tool is very powerful and uh, at one point pretty far into the process uh, my uh, my wife was cleaning out my offsite storage with me going through boxes and she pulled out this little red cartridge and looked at it and said what's this and I said oh my god that's the prototype cartridge from 32 years ago and so, uh, did, did you know what game it was? I knew it. I knew. I okay. recognized the label. Okay, it said Keystone Cannonball. Keystone and I, Cannonball. And I that, that's went a and good. That's a good name. I that's plugged a really it in. Use yeah. It. Oh. And up it came, and I said, "Oh my God!" And I compared it to what I was doing, and what I was doing on this eight-bit workshop was far better. And I realized, yeah, I guess I had a number of Atari games between that prototype and this that I was that I had done in my career. So. I guess I got better at it, mm -hmm. um, but I shared that with Gary and Dave, and uh, and uh, I pretty much prematurely announced I was working on it, hoping to have had it released a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And as Dave and Gary said, you know, work and gets in the way. Yeah. After the work at Absolute, I went off to and had a CD-ROM company for five years and worked with GT Interactive. I did a uh, game based on Casper, the interactive. The, the, the film, uh, the Universal film, I did a game with Christy Yamaguchi, the Olympic ice skater, where back then children's CD-ROMs were popular, so you could create Christy's, uh, uh, Christy's uh, um, ice skating uh, uh, a routine. routine, thank you, in, in 3D, and it was one of the first games uh, in the world that had motion capture. And I worked with a studio in New York that was just getting into mocap at the time, and we put her in an arena in San Jose and motion capped her. And, and so you could create for your for your parents uh, a Christy Yamaguchi ice skating routine where you could pick the music and pick the background and pick the lighting and pick what she does. And, and that was very popular, distributed by GT Interactive. And then I went off to a company called Majesco Entertainment. They were a remanufacturer of Nintendo games at that time and they brought me on board to get them into the publishing business. And I helped get them started into the um, original Game Boy, and then the Color Game Boy, and then the Game Boy Advanced, and the, um, the new GBA, and then the, the DS, and then we branched out into PS1, PS2. So while these guys were working on the internet, I helped uh, Majesco become a publisher and stayed there as their, um, as their VP of Product Development Licensing, I did a number of film games. Um, I think uh, if any of you know the movie Grandma's Boy, uh, that was a Happy Madison Adam Sandler movie. Uh, I was the technical director. I helped produce the three games in the film. I helped set the um, decorate the sets with uh, you know how it would look like a video game testing facility or publisher. So I did a lot of cool things then, and and uh, and then uh, Gary had shared with me that 8-bit website. Uh, Drug you right back in. <laughs> and I, you know, and it's amazing. I thought I knew the machine, and after playing with it, I couldn't remember. You know, how do we put an object on the screen? How do we do this? How do we yeah. do that? And I kind of had to reteach myself how to, how to code. Um, and I had announced the game, and, and life got in the way, and other projects. And so, unfortunately, the, the game isn't yet done, but, but now we are all collectively working on it and okay. making it up to the quality of Circus Convoy, which, yeah. uh, which, which I hope to come close to. These guys are amazing what they've created. Um, and so uh, when they 
met with me and said, you know, we have the technology and you're going to need plastic and all these things. It, it really made sense to join forces. And so while they created Circus Convoy, I helped orchestrate the marketing, the box oh, printing, okay, gotcha. the manual, yeah. and the other marketing support that we needed as a company. Yeah, Equally and, as important work in order to get the finished uh, product. Yeah, yeah, it, it all has to be done. As, as yeah. Dave said, you may have a game, but you still need a box and manuals. Right. And, yeah, that's, that's what a lot of people don't realize, particularly just players. Uh, you think of the game gets programmed. And yeah, even people in the business working for a publisher, that's all they do is they program the game, then they hand it off to somebody. When you're creating a startup, as I did with Activision, and again with, with Audacity, you see all the things that have to be done to make this thing happen. And Dan's, Dan publicized Casey's Gold with a previous name because he was looking at doing a Kickstarter to develop the, mm -hmm. yeah, the cartridge that. and the plastic and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And that's when we got together. And you know, we worked together at Activision, we worked together at Absolute, and went, went separate ways for a while, and even Skyworks for a while. Um, but then there's no reason why we shouldn't work together since we're both doing 2600. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, that, that was the connection, is even if you had a game, you couldn't publish it until we do all this other stuff, right? Yeah. So let's work together to do that. Yeah, I mean, just thinking through the process of what you have to build to recreate uh, a machine that existed 40 years ago from from development to production to, to marketing to delivery and, and all of that in between and everything in between, that's a very that's a really tall order. I mean, it's an extremely is. tall order. Is it is Audacity still just the three of you today? Or, or have you added some folks we on? We have a fourth... Um, person, okay. uh, technical guy who helps us with production and helps us with uh, fulfillment. Okay. And uh, we'll get, and game testing. Yeah, okay, and we good. bring we get bring in part-time people when we're doing actual production. Oh, okay, yeah. good, good. Now, one of the things that my mind immediately jumps to is a few of the names that we've uh, discussed in the prior two sessions, like Steve Cartwright uh, and some of the other Activision developers. Is there is there any opportunity for some of those uh, for some of the, the for some of the original guard to rejoin you guys to develop well, some games? I, I'm laughing because I contacted Steve very early, and he said. But that was so hard. <laughs> and He's so long ago. To do something that's not so hard. Yeah. Why would he want to do this? And we, we have gotten that kind of response from really even, even from the folks that were at Activision. Well, wow. Okay. The only thing we'll say is we do have a signed contract with someone else. Fantastic. Who is that's a great. game designer? We will say that. Yeah. Fair and, enough. And I keep talking to Steve, so he may come back. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. But and we've had a lot of discussions with other people whose names you know. Yeah. And. You know, it's the same problem we had. Well, I've got a day job, and yeah. God, I can't imagine learning that language again. And, yeah. You know, but we're trying to tell them, look, we've done all the hard work. So, so now just write the game. Just help us, yeah. So when you talk about doing all the hard work, and, and if, let's just say if Steve were to come back, how, how does he build a game at Audacity? Because I, I take it you don't have the blue boxes anymore. I mean, did you have to build your own development environments and, and recreate everything to do Atari 2600 development no, on your the, own? The, how, the, how does the that work? The community has taken care of that uh, over the last 30 years. I mean, Stella is a wonderful tool. Okay. You know, it's an emulator. It has debugging capabilities. It, it's 
really, really good. So between 8-Bit Workshop is kind of like a... Well, it's an IDE. Yeah. It's, it's basically... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's kind of where I was but, go, but going. But yeah. 8-Bit Workshop doesn't have the sophistication of Stella. So between those tools... Uh-huh. And Dave didn't mention, but... Um, Dave also wrote, uh, you may mention it, a sophisticated graphic tool because we had an idea in our heads of how we could take the graphics to a next level. Uh-huh. But it, but it, it's something that we used to do on paper and to keep our heads from exploding, we said <laughs> we really should create a tool to help us do that, which he did and he gave it to me and I'm the, uh, mostly the art department. Okay. So yeah. I used that very technical tool to create things like the snake Yes, yes. Uh, the, dr- the giraffe, it looks the giraffe. Yeah, yeah, very complex. Yeah. So look at yep. uh, things that are really complex that don't look like they could be done in 2600. And so there was a lot of tool development. Okay. Did. okay. But um, development system, you know, Stella. Okay. No, I mean, that, that's very fair. Workshop, I mean, that stuff. Yeah, no, it's very now, fair. That said, there's a lot of technology that goes into an Audacity game, including the. Uh, QR code. Mm-hmm. The QR code is something you can do today in JavaScript just using uh, third-party stuff that's available for free. But I, I uh, challenge anyone to do that on a 6502 microprocessor <laughs> in 8 bits at, at 1 megahertz. The problem yeah. is RAM. With yeah. and RAM. 128 bytes of RAM. 128 <laughs> bytes of RAM. The, the QR code may be the hardest thing that Dave ever programmed on 2600. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. He kept without, calling me up. Without a going, doubt. Why are we doing this? This is ridiculous. <laughs> he didn't do it on this machine. Eventually, <laughs> eventually, eventually it happens. He told me it was done. Huh. It, re- it requires a 22-term polynomial divide done in an 8-bit processor. And that's not anything you want to be doing in a 6502. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, the, even, even just saying it sounds complex. Yeah, yeah it, it would, make, would make so, your head uh, explode. My point was we, we have all that technology in what's in in essence, a base program that if Steve Cartwright came in, I would hand him the base program, tell him how it works. It handles all kinds of screen generation and uh, switching between title screens and QR codes and all of that sort of stuff is all automatic now. And and the custom bank switching. Thing custom bank and, switching but it also stuff. has things like the, it, it has in, in the base program, it has the inventory system that's used in Circus Convoy. If you wanted to do another game like that, okay. it keeps track of a lot of cool stuff. Okay, so you all have developed what is essentially very valuable intellectual property IP to allow you to publish not only Circus Convoy, but everything that comes after Circus Convoy as well. And I can say from from my time playing Circus Convoy... I mean, it's it's a beautiful cartridge. It's it's just it's so clean and crisp. It it feels good in the hand because it's all just new. But I, I will say that the game plays and looks unlike any other twenty six hundred game I've ever played. Maybe save Pitfall Two from a from a complexity and sophistication standpoint. Um, is there any? Is there any use of the display processor chip, the DPC chip, in Circus Convoy, or are no. you? No, no okay. not a thing. Are, are, are you planning on doing any hardware assist no. later on? No. no. Okay. We, All right. If we can do that, we can do anything. That's the way it's <laughs> We are writing we that. We decided we didn't want to have a crutch. Okay. Yeah. The crutch being, well, you know, let's put fancy processing in there. We want to be judged 
on the same level playing field of the basic hardware okay, of that's, the day. That, yeah, that's we are writing that as if it's 1982. And the, the only caveat or, is yeah. that you can't buy an 8K ROM anymore. Right, so we had... They, they don't exist. Yeah. That, okay. They're, they're, the smallest one you can buy is the one we bought, and that's 128K. Okay. So, and the only reason we did it that way is the last thing we wanted to do is have... ROM limit stop us doing something creatively. In the past, that's what we had to do. When we ran out of ROM, we were done. The, the game was finished. What you wanted to put in, yeah. it, the game was now yeah. finished. You know, and, Gary, and, and it was a product of its time because of because of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah as Gary mentioned yesterday, I think, or the day before, I mean, he would have put in more screens in Donkey Kong 2600 had he had another four K. ROM. Yeah. So now we are, you know, we essentially have enough ROM. To, to do whatever we need to do. Creatively. But otherwise, you can stack this up against a game from 1982, and there's no other technology about it. And in fact, in 1982, wow. if you wanted to, you could have put more ROM in. Yeah. You know, we had that ability. Yeah. yeah it's just price. It was, yeah. Yeah. So I, I pat patterned that cartridge after the Activision uh, plastic, mm -hmm. which I was involved in in the uh, creation of way back when. Yeah. We had a designer to do it, but I was, uh, you know, consulting with him. Yeah. And uh, so it's it's very similar, and I'm I'm the Renaissance man. I can, I I mean I can do plumbing, electrical. I mean I do everything. And cartridges. And, and cartridges. And yes. So I said, all right, I'm just now going. To <laughs> we do called Rotor Rooter. They couldn't do the cartridges. <laughs> yeah. I'm I, I'm, I'm just going to do a a a tool. And we and changed the glue. That's right. we, uh, we changed oh, the glue. So, so it doesn't look like. Junk 20 yeah, years yeah, ago. Yeah, it doesn't have yes. the uh, Actiplac. Actiplac, yes yes, yes, yes. Yes, in 2050, your cartridges will still look <laughs> they'll, st they'll still be brand new. Remember that we may not be here, but the cartridge will be here. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Well, for, for everything that was developed uh, from, from a tooling perspective, from, from a production perspective, it certainly worked out well for Circus Convoy. Can, can you all speak? I mean, uh, label here says by David Crane and Gary Kitchen. So, Gary, you said that you did a lot of the, the art production on it. David, I assume this was, was it your idea or was it collectively between the two of you? Or yeah, how, how did that go? Design. Okay. Dave wrote. All the code. It okay. was a joint design, and then I, I did the art. Okay, gotcha. So it, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting game in the way that it fools you into thinking that the game scrolls, and right. it it has a sense of movement to it that I've not seen on other twenty six hundred games. How, can you can you talk a bit about how you achieve that? Because it it does have the side to side scrolling like we see in Pitfall, Pitfall Two and in other games as well. But while you're playing it, you you feel like the entire screen has motion instead of just being static. I, I thought that was just a very interesting gameplay mechanic. Well it is it's not Scrolling, it's screen to screen. There is yeah. a d differentiation that we have to make, although mm -hmm. a lot of people mix the two terms. Yes. Um, but as soon as you turn it on, you'll see that you're actually moving on a train. Uh -huh. And we pull that off with a lot Not of... Not a train, on a, a... You're thinking of the other games. Yeah. 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 <laughs> a boxcar, I guess. Box, yeah. Uh, yeah, on an 18-wheeler. Yeah, there you 18 go. 18-wheeler trailer, yeah. And um, since we didn't have to limit ROM, we could say, okay, here's an idea that I would never do in a 4K game. But the main character has 
many, many frames of pictures so that he can have his scarf flapping in the breeze. And it does. It is, but the entire time it looks like there's motion with him yes. no, well, all the time. And if you're facing into the wind, it flashes. It, it, flaps harder than uh -huh. if you're facing away from the wind <laughs> and there's a lot of, so there's a lot of extra images you have to put in there just to get those couple bits to do that yeah um so yeah we were able to do those kinds of things um i i created a set of displays along the top that normally have birds flying by mm -hmm. well i did that so that there could be an aerial device and you'll find out later in the game that you can launch a drone and ride it to other places and uh, we did, you know, put in teleporting so that you could do this. And, and you know, all these games have always evolved over time. You think of a cool idea and you put it in and you have a basic idea. Yeah. We, we got feedback from some of the guys like at, at the National Video Game Museum who said, you know, I don't really like just plain old adventure games. I like those action games where you had a single screen and you did all this fun stuff. So we said, well, let's give something for everyone. And you unlock mini games. And each one of those mini games could be a standalone 4K game, you know, from 1982. Mm -hmm. And there's, I don't know, six, seven of them. I don't remember how many. Um, and um, so you could have, you have adventure, you have discovery, you have learning how to do this, you have pick up these things and you need this key to go over there and do that. And so there's that, that kind of adventure game. And when you get into these mini games, you actually get to play um, real Atari 2600-like single-screen action games. Yeah. So it, that the intention was to give everybody something. If they don't like this type better than that, or they like this type better than that, they get to play them both. Yeah. One thing on the motion yeah. is it is screen to screen to screen, but at one point it's, it's a convoy, but they're made up of groups of trucks, mm -hmm. and there are gaps, and... We, we came up to a point where we said, you know, what we really want is, is we want the truck from the previous convoy to drive closer to the mm -hmm. other yes. back of the next part of the yeah. convoy. And you see that happen. And, and, you see, and we, we said, yeah, but it's a screen-to-screen game. We're not actually really scrolling stuff. Yeah, yeah. And Dave said, well, I could try to make the truck scroll. <laughs> so, yeah, it, I mean... To a technical person, is this an amazing moment where the truck drives forward to reach the back of the other truck, and most game players it'll just gloss right over. Yeah, yeah. But to you know, twenty six hundred programmers, they'll be like, "What the hell just happened?" It happened, yes. Yeah, because you don't expect it on a yeah. on a screen to screen game. Yeah, and and that's that's really one of the reasons why I asked about the the DPC, and of course I know that that did a lot of a lot of sound work for for yeah. Pitfall too, but. But it seems like the homebrew community today is is really uh, kind of, uh, I, I would say, supported by this whole uh, process of having uh, ARM CPUs inside the cartridges to yep. expand the capability of, of the games. They're in some wonderful, wonderful arcade ports have landed on the 2600 because of, because of that capability. Yes, right. But then when I when I saw how the motion is inside Circus Convoy, it immediately made me think it's like, Man, I wonder is that I mean is that live or is that Memorex? How, yeah. how, how are yeah. they accomplishing that if the if they don't have any assist? So that, that was really the reason for the question. Yeah, yeah. I mean it, it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean this may be personal arrogance, but it doesn't make any sense for me to do a port of an arcade game using extra hardware 
and do it on the 2600. Why do it on the 2600? You can do it on a PC, you could do it on anything. The, the 2600 is a beautiful machine all by itself. And yeah. so that we use only the 2600's capabilities. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, really, it's really impressive. So I, I'll say that there's, the, the, the work shows for the time invested and in, in for what you all have built. It's, it's really, really impressive. Um, if, if I yeah, can, let me sure, just, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the, the business model and how yeah, we launched perfect, it. Perfect, yeah, thank um, you. We had some people that were diehard collecting. Collecting was everything for them. So we made what was called a VIP edition. It was, how much of it, 149, 129? I don't remember. It was around between 129 and $149. And you got literally you know, a pun, you really got the kitchen sink with it. Mm -hmm. You got um, uh, a truck, a Circus Conway truck, uh, you know, custom made, limited to 100, with the Circus Convoy on an 18 wheeler logo yeah and a bunch of other things like that i think we got a um belt buckle mm -hmm. that that's the logo you got yeah. a trucker hat trucker hat trucker yeah. hat yeah and then you got the game with a signed certificate of authenticity mm -hmm. and you got a very low serial number uh, under 100 serial number yes and we only had that was limited to 100 pieces yeah. and we sold those out like instantly yeah mine is number 66 oh, right. and, uh, very nice. yeah and yeah. i had and i had to fight for it the so national, i was national waiting video game yeah. museum has which one nine they have number nine number nine yeah so no, um number four number four Oh, that's we right. Have After one, two, one, we two have three, one, two, and, and then they have number four. Have number okay, all right. Good deal. So then that was the highest one. That was limited to 100. We mm -hmm. sold those out right away. Yeah. And, and I, I wrote the website for this thing, and I was doing it. And for the serious collector, and you know who you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I raised my hand right here. And because, we honestly could have, yeah. should have done 200 units because the demand on that was ridiculous. Yes. So then we did the middle one, which is the collector edition. Mm -hmm. Collector edition is $99. And that, you don't get all the, the truck and the belt buckle and all that. Because there are only a hundred of those. Yeah, there were only a hundred of those trucks. There's only a hundred of those belt buckles. Yeah, those yeah. are gone, never yeah. to be okay. seen again. Yeah. So in the collector edition, you do get a certificate of authenticity signed by us that's frameable, and you get the game. And most importantly, you get something we really didn't want to do, but the demand was so high. You get a serialized binary so that you can run it on Stella or mm -hmm. run it on another machine or run it on Retron with a uh, SIM card. Yeah. And people really wanted that digital uh, piece, so we put that in the collector's edition, which is sold for $99. Mm -hmm. And then finally, we have the one you have there, the right green here. one, yeah. with standard edition, $60. You get no binary file. You get no signatures or authentic authenticity certificate mm -hmm. it's still a serial number but it's a high serial number it's yeah. 2000 over and and remember when you bought pitfall 2 in 1984 mm -hmm. uh for 39.95 um adjusted for inflation that would be 120 bucks yeah this is half the price of what you would have paid for Pitfall. so they yeah. are a little expensive yeah we admit but so much went into them and it's such a limited market that we felt that people who were serious would 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 be willing to pay that. Oh yes. Um, now just to finish that thought, we did bring a limited number of collector edition cartridges, which we have here. 
And if it, because it's not our primary reason to be here, obviously, but we brought them because we always have people calling, well, do you have the game here? And because we're in a show and we don't have to ship it and there's no tax, collector's edition is only $80 at the show. Okay. So if you don't have yours yet and you want one, we'll have. We have a few left. If you want one after this, stop by where we're sitting and we do have them. Oh, that's fantastic. So Unfortunately, we have no VIPs left. Yeah, they, they were they, they were vaporized within they minutes. They were vaporized the first day. Y- yes, yeah. they, yes, they were. Yes, they were. Is it the plan to carry that model forward? Like, Dan, with your game? Are, oh, yeah. there, are there going to be three oh, yeah. levels? And, Absolutely. And with every game to come to come from yeah, Audacity? It's kind of fun to think about what are the premium tchotchkes. For oh, yes. In, yes. in fact, we've already ordered one premium tchotchke. For Dan's game, which okay. we can't discuss. But yeah, we yes, we already have one of the collectors for the VIP edition ready to go. Oh, that's, yeah, that's yeah. that's fantastic. That's fantastic. That's a, I mean, people are really enthusiastic about that. Oh, so. oh, it 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 matters because it at least from my standpoint, it makes you feel like you've invested in yes. in in your your yeah. helping you're helping the company to be successful because yep. I mean, speaking for myself, I want to see you all do game number three. I know game number two is coming. I want to see three, four and five. And and I figured the only way to do that is we have to support you all. Otherwise it's not really worth your time and time's the most precious commodity you have. I mean, it's not actually worth our time anyway, but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Fair enough. It is a lot of fun. Yeah. Yes. Well, good. It's a lot of fun for us. And we love to hear that. And we haven't made a dime yet in profit. We don't expect to ever make profit, but if we can, at least cover the costs and come close. Yeah. It's good enough. Because we enough. like doing it. It's fun. Yeah. Now, let's just, there's no announcement about a new game. Let's just get that fair, out there. Fair enough. Yeah. But, I, but let's at least say that David has a game in development. I have seen it. I have played some of it. Oh, fantastic. And it is in development. Okay. Like nothing you've ever seen. Like nothing you've ever seen. Oh, I wow. actually have a game in development. Awesome. Yeah. That I can bring up a joystick and play as a pr- proof of concept for an idea unlike that and uh-huh. unlike the one Dave's working on. Yeah. It's unlike anything like those. But I had this idea and I, I really like what I have so far, but it's a way to go. Yeah. And there is another game in development beyond those two okay. by, by someone who's not sitting up on this stage. Okay. Well, everybody heard it here first. That, and that's awesome. Know that Dan, I mean, we talked about Dan's game. It's yeah. It's coming. It's going to be there. Just but wait till it's just right. Yeah. yeah no, I understand. So, yeah. so, so Dan, we're, uh, all of us are anxiously looking forward to your game. I, I will say that uh, without a doubt because – As I am too. Yeah, I'm, why, I'm sure. Yeah, why are I'm you sure. still sitting here? Go back and work. <laughs> yeah, I got to go program. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, Dan, can, can you talk to us a little bit about how that game has changed? Uh, I mean, did, did it change after after you saw what, what your brother and David were working on? Because – to me, the, they look somewhat similar from a platforming perspective. Yeah, but can, I, can I just address that? Yeah, sure, yeah. That is, that is just, it's a DNA issue. Is, <laughs> is, is all it oh, is. that's funny. Because we, I told Dan, we had been working on Circus Convoy before. Okay. And I told Dan about Ape at Workshop, and then he came up with this idea of the Resurrect, Keystone Cannonball, and when he showed us what he had prototyped on Keystone Cannonball on 8-Bit Workshop. Uh-huh. And we looked at what we were doing. Yeah. We all just kind of laughed. Yeah. Because it's like, how does this happen? Shared DNA, how does yeah. this happen? Yeah. And the, the, the trucks, 
look a lot like I mean, I mean it's a lot of people say well what'd you do take the same engine and <laughs> just whip up another game no <laughs> no it was independent on two different coasts yeah that's wild but there it is yeah it's, they are there is certainly some similarity yeah but we've been careful as dan will tell you to not keep them uh, to not make a duplicate okay i mean there's a lot of differences yeah yeah okay. first of all there is no engine Every game on the 2600 is its own unique code. Yeah. So we had no engine, but as Gary said, through DNA, <laughs> I working completely happened. in a yeah. vacuum, that's independently, not even seeing what they did, I went off and wanted to recreate what I had started to play with in 1983. Well, and you might yeah. say the same thing about Pitfall and Keystone Capers. Yeah. Right. Just yeah. go back even to, to that time. So, you know, that it happens. Yeah. 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 It's a horizontal machine when you... And you have a little character. He wants to move yeah. horizontally from screen to screen. Yeah. Um, the game was initially uh, worked on to be, you know, the spiritual resurrection of that game. I obviously didn't own the rights to Keystone or Canon or the original name or anything from Activision. So I, I, I actually took that concept and made it different than my original themed game from 1983, and I called it Gold Rush. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, when uh, when we started working together, we uh, we looked and and uh, made sense to kind of change the name. There were some some uh, uh, some copyright issues with that name, which trademark, has been used in the past. Trade, yeah, trademark, trademark issues, yeah. Um, okay, but yeah. So so we have worked to to make the game much less visually like. Circus Convoy, and in fact, it's, it plays as a completely different type of game. Yes, yeah. Theirs yeah, is it, really an adventure. It doesn't have the same model of no, and Circus Convoy of a deep, deep, deep puzzler. Right, mine's not a puzzler. You pick it up, it's an action game. More of an action game, yep. okay. And it. you'll get the feeling immediately. The only thing that's similar is there's something on the bottom that you're running on, and there's a sky in the background. Yeah. Yeah, okay. other than that. It, not that there were ever any other Activision games that had sky. Right, <laughs> that had yeah. rainbows and skies <laughs> and yeah. mountains. Fair enough, yeah. yeah, fair enough. Well, it, again, I, I know that uh, I know that the public's really looking forward to it because, Dan, it seemed like you had generated a fairly good groundswell of interest in, oh, yes. in, your, in your game. There's, Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. And, and I know that I had three or four other friends that we were all talking about your game, uh, just amongst ourselves and just kind of saying, okay, maybe three months, maybe six months, whatever it is. And, uh, and it's, it just, it seemed like you had, uh, you had the pub, the interest of the public behind you as far as what you were doing. I did. I did a lot of, yeah. uh, of, uh, talk uh, of, uh, uh, marketing of the game before it came out in hindsight, um, uh, too much before it came out because life gets in the way mm -hmm. and then working with audacity to help support circus convoy. But uh, but fortunately, uh, now we're we're full full blown on on making sure this game and and is is done. And you as you asked, you know, when I I had a version of the game that I let Gary and Dave play, uh, and uh, and when I stepped back and looked at it, it yes, probably seeing what they did in Circus Convoy made me go back and rethink. Wow. I see what they've done, mm -hmm. and so I I, I want to be a little less. Yeah, of our own success, we yeah. raised the yeah. bar a little too high. Yeah, yeah. So we don't want to come in under that. Yeah, loss. yeah. I don't want to okay. do a 1982 game. I mean, they used 1982 hardware, right? But they've done amazing things, bringing the 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 2600 up to a level that is astounding. Yeah. So I stepped back and want to put that quality of depth 
in a different way in my game. Okay. And have it not just look like, oh, that could have been an 8K cartridge in 1982. Yeah. So that has also taken some time to step back and seeing how high the bar was raised with Circus Convoy and rethink some of the things I was doing. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, that, that does make sense. Uh, I mean, speaking of, speaking of that, though, I mean, have, have, you, have you all, I guess collectively, all three of you have, you, have you gotten the response that you were hoping for from the, from the community on Circus Convoy and, and with Audacity? Because I think that everybody was clamoring for you all to do, to do a new game, and I, I certainly hope that they have, because it's... Yes. Yeah, good. It's been outstanding. Good. I I'm mean, glad to hear that. I mean, to a person who has reached out to us uh -huh. or posted on YouTube or, or written on a website to a person, there's just been nothing but joy. Good. And, and that's great because that's why we did it. Yeah. You know, uh, forget number of units or do dollars, who cares? Yeah. I mean, the community embraced it. We, we, we sold enough that it made it worthwhile to go through the trouble of making a <laughs> Plastic tool, four color box. We got the and all tool that. paid for. Yeah, we got the tool <laughs> okay, paid well, for. Okay, well, that, that's important. But yeah, that's more good. importantly, so many people told us nice things. Like I remember opening Activision games on Christmas morning. Yes. Now I have the same feeling. Yeah. And that's a wonderful. That's yeah. that's that's great. So all we really wanted to accomplish was bring that joy from the 1980s to the present day. Yeah, well, you did that. I mean, I was astounded. Just on a personal level, I was astounded that it, it even happened. Let, let alone it could happen again and again and again. Yep. That's just, I, yeah. I mean, that's just a bonus. Yeah. And yeah. we really loved every minute of it. And it's a great, great honor to be able to, to deal with a community that is so enthusiastic yeah. about something that we did 50 years ago, yeah. 45, 40 years ago. Yeah. It's insane. It, it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Now, gentlemen, thank you all. I, I think we're, we're at a good point. In the prior sessions, we've always ran a little bit over, and we didn't, I think, a lot, enough time for questions. So I want to correct that here today. Um, let's open it up. Does anybody have any questions for the guys? Okay, we'll, we'll start here, and then, Cameron, you had your, we'll, we'll do you number two then. Yes, sir, go ahead. What do you find your market demographic is? Is it, is it people like us, like over 40, who were enthusiasts, or do you find also younger people getting into? That's a, that's a good question, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, I mean, there's the collector, and the collector is collecting because of the nostalgia of their youth. They remember fondly these games, right? Um, we, we are still finding a lot of people who are, they couldn't get their kids to do it, but they're turning their grandchildren onto the Atari 2600, right? Um, so there, there are some younger players playing it. But, you know, it's a small group. I mean, it's, you know, it's people who come to these shows. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I think, I think the demographic is definitely older. Yeah, it, it is. It's people who were exposed to it, either the people who were little kids when it came out, or even people... Who, who may have been playing the NES when they were little kids, but fondly remember that the industry started with the Atari and they reach back a little bit, you know. I am actually really bothered by the fact that the video game industry at large isn't more involved in preserving the, the old days. I mean, you gotta have the respect of people like this guy who founded the third party 100%, yes. video game industry. I couldn't get into E3 one year. 
and and and, <laughs> well, and you you couldn't get into E three. <laughs> no, I mean like like if if, if they, we, you mean they turned you away or five times. Yeah, <laughs> each and, time and, saying send more information that explains how you're part of this industry. Right. You know, and, and I've actually spoken to the IGVA and and Dice uh-huh. and said, you know what you people need to do. You people need to understand, and I didn't do it in a mean way, yeah. that you have to respect where this industry started. It's not just and the, the here and the same way that Hollywood respects, you know, Kirk Douglas mm-hmm. for what he did, you've got to understand and respect that, that you didn't build this. Yeah. And you are now making tens of billions of dollars off it, yeah. but look at where it started. Yes. And that is part of your legacy. Hollywood certainly sees it, oh, yeah. but the game industry hasn't seen it yet. So we'll see if my yelling ever gets us anywhere. Hmm. And I probably did all that yelling right after they turned him down. <laughs> no, that was a great question, though. Thank, it's thank a great you. Question. Yeah, it was. Yeah, Cameron back there. Oh, my wife says I can keep it all. Because when are you I've ever going to get rid of all that crap in the garage? <laughs> <laughs> and and I sent a container of that stuff to the National Video Game Museum because I just realized they will keep it in better condition than I can keep it. I had some of the stuff in a barn at one time. And I said, yeah, and I started happen. doing that too. I mean, we're very close with those guys. And the, every time I see John Hardy, he says... You know, Dave sent us, I mean, when he says a container, he's talking about like a container the size of a U-Haul truck. And they keep saying, when are you going to send stuff? And I just moved recently. So in the unpacking, I've started to shove stuff over to the side and say, this is going to the video game museum. So our actual collections are not very big, you know, in our homes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's good though that it goes out for public display because yeah. because yeah. I think that helps to and preservation in preservation. You know, but, it's going to get beat up and lost in my house. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, and I, I think we've mentioned it a couple of times that the, the history, whether it be spoken or whether it, whether it be video history, especially since uh, I think we were talking about this yesterday, where like a lot of the the game code artifacts are lost. Then at least there's the, the the least we could have the halo effect around. Uh, we may not have the game code, but at yeah. least at yep. least there's that that ring around the the product that is that is preserved. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I was fortunate enough to find some listings of some of my original work that I'm donating to the museum, and have donated that that cartridge as well. You could have gone to jail for saving those at the time. At the time, I didn't realize I had them because we weren't allowed to leave with code. But I didn't realize that I had a box full of some of the things from our old PDP-11 printer yeah. at Activision that I had, I guess, taken home to. And it's all my markings on it on how to do certain Amazing. things. And, yeah. you know. and Dan yeah. recently found in more cleaning, he called me up. He said, didn't you back in the day have a notebook? And I said, you know, I always thought I, had, I just I don't recall it. And he said, well, I have it. So he found this notebook with graph paper. And it is all of the art for Keystone Capers and Donkey Kong, all oh, hand-drawn, wow. you know, color pictures of Mario climbing up the 8-bit. Yeah, uh, the, the little ladders. The little and ladders. Yeah. So um, 
that's going to go to the museum too. But well, uh, I'm going to document it and first. We, we've sure. been well trained. <clears throat> what John Hardy was talking to me about, you know, when you find this kind of stuff, let me know. Yeah. And he said, let me just be very specific. If you used a tissue while developing Pitfall, I want it. <laughs> <laughs> a funny story is uh, we had seen John and, and the two, his two guys, Sean and Joe, many times through the years at the classic gaming conventions. And I always told them I had this prototype I did in 1983. And, you know, it was a guy who was a Keystone cop on a train. But I said this to them over and over every year. And about the 15th year, they kind of look at us and say, Dan, you're full of crap. We don't believe you. It doesn't exist. And funny thing is, when I found the cartridge, or my wife found the cartridge, John was in uh, Long Island visiting with his stepfather. And I called him up and said, John, the cartridge is real, and I have it right here. And he drove over to my place the next day, and we plugged it in together and turned it on, and he oh, was just man. amazed. Yeah. And he said, when can I have it? <laughs> <laughs> and if you haven't been... The National Video Game Museum in Frisco, Texas. Frisco, Texas. It yes. is worth the trip. Fly into Dallas. It's only a half hour ride. And as good as you think it may be, it it's, exceeds it's, all expectations. It's, it's, it's better. It is, it is Disney World quality for I video games. I mean, you games. just yes, walk in and you go, oh my God. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. They have 100,000 um, things in the collection, and not all of them are displayed. It's not big enough. But they display plenty, and, and they have interactive exhibits. And it's just seen. amazing. Yeah, yeah. one oh, of the goodness. one of the exhibits there that was the most impressive to me was they actually had an old game store set up, like in a corner, yes. where yeah. you, with with the glass counter, and they had all the box games on the wall, and you felt like you were in a Kmart back in 1982. Well, they also yeah. had the the you know at the point in, of of the industry in 1983 where the bins were out. Front in front of yes, that, correct, with the yeah. two dollar cartridges Gary yes, talked about yesterday, yeah. and they have a beautifully recreated 1982 living room. Yeah, so you can sit there as if you were back in time and play with your television or your Atari in a living room with with shag carpet and the TV guide yeah. and all the things we had when we lived in 1982. Yeah, it's amazing. It, it, it is amazing. And uh, they also have a complete Activision patch collection up on a wall, up on one of the walls. And that's something to see as well, because yes. Gary, you were talking about like the hero patch on eBay yesterday going for over $500. Some of those patches are practically un unobtainable. Oh yeah. 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 And I think I, I want to mention that when we, when, when we, created audacity we wanted to create the spiritual uh, rebirth of what activision was and so if you notice the cartridge label the box is really in the same uh, vein as the original art style activision yeah. art style and activision quality and so one thing that uh, we've resurrected is the patches so if you play the game and you get your certain score and flash your iphone or mobile device at the qr code you will automatically tell us that you have won a patch and we will mail you a Activision quality patch for Lost Circus Convoy. Really Just like we had mailed back at Activision throughout the career in the 1980s. That, that is fantastic. And that offer on the patches, that's not a limited time item, is it? I mean, if, if, they, if somebody buys Circus no, at Convoy any time, a year from now, would they you still will, be able to get a patch? We'll send you a patch with a letter. Fantastic. And we will be doing now, it for all the other games. Just full disclosure, it's not free. 
Right. We charge right. two dollars shipping, shipping, and shipping and handling. handling that's to fair. Mail you the patch. That's very yeah. fair. Yeah. Yeah. Just want to get yeah. that out there. Yeah, that, that's that's very fair. Are there are there multiple versions yes, of the patch for different score tiers? Yes, yes there oh, are. There yeah. are. Okay, yeah. good. There are two two versions. Okay. There's a high score, then there's a perfect score. Yes. Ah, the perfect score. Perfect. Score. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Excellent. All right. Uh, any other questions? Yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> yeah. As Gary mentioned, that was the hardest thing Dave ever did. <laughs> the video resolution was not a problem. Um, I used the second smallest QR code, it only gave me 22 bytes that I could transmit. And um, the play field, if you look at the play field, like for combat, the cartridge, the tanks are driving around, that yeah. resolution gave me enough pixels to make that QR code. <laughs> It's unbelievable to see a QR code on an Atari 2600. You know, there is another QR code feature that we should mention, is at certain points in Circus Convoy, Good when point. you're trying to figure something out, mm -hmm. if you um, stop your guy and just stand there and flip one of the difficulty switches. I think, I think it's select. Game select. Another okay. QR code comes up. And what it is, is it's a very clever idea of it's an interactive manual tied to where you are in the game. Oh, that's so brilliant. You take a picture, a web page comes up in your phone that explains where you are. And oh, that is, that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's neat. Context-specific yeah. online game manual. Yeah. yeah. Right. We didn't even mention that, but that's a whole other effort that has I'm, to be done as the game is yeah, complete. Yeah, I've not heard that mentioned before. Yeah, that, that's, that, that, that is, that's pretty brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, yes, sir. So with producing a product, you have Q, uh, QA problems. Did there Was there like a cartridge 77 didn't work out and it's a missing number or you replaced it? Um, there, there have been a couple lost or damaged or whatever, so there are some numbers that are, are out of circulation. It wasn't anything to do with QA. We had a lot of volunteers who wanted to play test our games. Yeah, yeah. So we had ten or fifteen people who were active in the either in the mostly in the retro game industry, either with the museum or elsewhere, who were playing. All sworn to secrecy. But, yes. yeah. but no, yeah. like dead RFID chip and that one. Just no, not really. Those are pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's impressive to think that that's inside a twenty six hundred cartridge. It, it, it's like the the future has the future has arrived and it looks really good. So that's right. that's neat. Any other questions? Yeah, Cameron. But specifically about this game that's actually coming up. I mean, everything that you're doing with box art and putting in the cartridge is all fantastic. Did you see another life for it popping up on like a download store for the Xbox and the PlayStation or like the Atari box that came out? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, the way this industry works, I don't own Pitfall. Activision owns Pitfall. And that's why you've seen these flashback cartridges that have Pitfall on them in all of our games. Um, well, now in this particular case, it's Audacity Games owns this IP. And so if 10 years from now somebody wants to put out a flashback 29 mm -hmm. um, that has Audacity Games in it, you'll find them in there. We have had two discussions with people about building it in the hardware. Um, neither of those came to fruition. Um, but yes, I could absolutely see it 
see these games show up in future emulated or not emulated flashback systems or somebody publishes a list, you know, a collection of 2600 games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what we don't want to do is we don't want to just put out a binary. Because number one, that takes away all the quality that we built into all the things that require more Correct. than binary. Yeah. So, but but yes, I'm sure, you know, we will make a deal with the Ataris of the world or other people who are building in. Actually, we've we've already um, the. I mean, I should mention that the Atari 50th anniversary product coming out from Digital Eclipse yeah. in November. Yeah. We were heavily involved in that. Okay. Um, uh, we talk about Audacity Games. We're interviewed and we talk about it. David okay. And I, uh, we did not include Circus Convoy in that, we, though we talked about it. But we work very closely with Digital Clips and um, with Microsoft buying Activision and mm -hmm. getting a lot of IP. You know, there's there's going to be more stuff down the road. Yeah. No, that's that's great. That's great. Yeah. Any other questions? What Microsoft is going to exploit IP? My, Microsoft is very excited about getting those Atari Twenty Six Hundred games IP, which is something that Activision has been less than excited about. Yeah, they've well, included them in a few Call of Duty. Well, ho hopefully they they see fit to allow them to live on, and, yes. and, and they, oh, they, they, li they live on in a way that uh, that honors them yes. and honors the past yeah. and but still provides a path forward so that that would be that would be absolutely wonderful yep yeah. yeah and if you have any cartridges with you any of the old carts uh we're sitting and we're glad to sign them at no cost want to bring over a pitfall or a keystone capers or crackpots bring it over we'll be glad to autograph fantastic it while we're here well gentlemen i will say this uh I know we've spent several hours together now, but it has, uh, it's been fantastic. And I appreciate your all's time and taking us through the, your, your all's body of work. And I know there's, for everything that we talked about, there's 10 other things that we could not, that we could not touch on. Uh, time just doesn't allow for all of that, but uh, thank you for educating all of us and providing, you know, providing so many years worth of entertainment. Um, I don't know uh, how often you all hear this, but I'll say you've made a difference for all of us, and you've you've made you've made fun for all of us, and that's a, that's a legacy in and of itself. So I hope you all, I hope everybody uh, treats that accordingly, because it would not I, my childhood, and I'm sure so many other people's childhood, it would not have been the same without the games that you all that you all did. Wonderful. So thank, thank you, you for that. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Congratulations, you made it to the end of another episode of the Broken Token Podcast. I promise they'll do better next time. Just go easy on the guys. They don't have a lot to work with. Since Whitney is my dad, I'll be nice and get on to the closing business. Please visit our website at brokentoken.com for articles, reviews, restoration logs, direct show downloads, and expanded show notes for this and every episode. We want to hear your feedback, comments, rants, raves, and otherwise, both good and bad. Drop us a line via email at podcast.brokentoken.com or use the contact page on the podcast website. 
You can call us at 470-2-CALL-BT. That's 470-222-5528. And leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you, and we might play your message on air in the next episode. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Broken Token and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash broken token. Brett and Whitney are always posting up new content between the official episodes and it's a great way to stay involved with the show between the shows. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and just about any other podcast directory you can think of. Just search for Broken Token and subscribe to the show. Like what you hear? Please consider leaving us a review wherever you found the show, as the reviews help us in search rankings and visibility. Once again, thanks for listening, and as my dad always says, keep your quarters clean and game on!